Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. I'm Steve Silberman, and I want to welcome you all to a very special limited edition podcast brought to you by Osiris Media. Osiris is a network run by music fans for music fans. And over the next few weeks, we'll be having a probing and unusually frank conversation with one of my own favorite musicians, David Crosby, whose resume is a history of some of the most inventive music made in the past half century. This series is also a tribute to the fact that I started out as a Crosby superfan, going to shows, obsessively collecting tapes, you know the drill. And now he's one of my closest friends, which blows my mind every day. Even the most dedicated hardcore Crosby fanatic will hear some very rare unreleased music they may never have heard before. Thank you for joining us as we take this journey with one of the most consistently original inventive, and gloriously weird musicians of our time. David, it is so wonderful to have you on this podcast. I am so honored that you're here. You personally have been responsible for some of the greatest music and musical developments of the last 50 years of of music. And um, your influence spreads even far beyond what people know about like that you helped turn the Beatles onto Indian music, it's hard to even imagine what the state of music in uh, the 21st century would be if you hadn't done that. So it's great to be here with you. But to tell you the truth, why we're really here is as friends. And we have a very unusual friendship in that I sort of uh, was able to graduate from being just a ridiculous teen fanboy and tape collector to being your pal. And it's as if you sent a signal out through the world in your music that I was especially attuned to pick up on. And uh, we ended up becoming really friends. And I'm very, very grateful to your friendship. And uh, so we're going to be talking as friends for the next couple of days. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I wanted to say how we met because it actually gets into your passion for the Internet which you demonstrate every day on Twitter. Are you having fun on Twitter, David? I am having fun on Twitter. People are fascinating, man. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the essential first part of it. Yeah. People are interesting as hell. They yeah. really are. Yeah. So, yeah, I have 
I have a lot of fun on the internet. Yeah. What Stephen should tell you, ladies and gentlemen, is that he's the one who turned me on to the internet in the first place. That is a true thing. That's how we became friends. And I'm going to tell that story, a short version of that story, because it's hilarious. It, it says a lot about who we both are. And it's awesome that it was actually the thing that made us become friends. Okay. Way back in, you know, 1970 or something, I was walking into a sandal shop in Provincetown that smelled of leather and incense, and I heard the most beautiful music I'd ever heard in my life. I had never heard music like that. And I walked up to the guy behind the counter, who was probably a really cool hippie in Provincetown, and the height of that, and I said, who is this? And the names that he said sounded like a law firm to me more than a, <laughs> more than a rock group. But that was me hearing Guinevere for the first time. And I ended up following Guinevere like through into jazz and Miles Davis and Bill Evans and all that, uh, which you were listening to, too. Guinevere had green eyes Like you down through the garden in the morning after it What happened was I was talking to a friend of mine named Raymond Foy one day on the phone, and Raymond had been working with Graham Nash on his photo collection, on curating his photo collection. And I heard another phone ring in the background, and I said to Raymond, do you have to get that? And he said, oh, no, it's just Cross. And I said, it's just Cross. You have to pick that up. Like, Raymond and I's whole friendship was based on our mutual devotion to if I could only remember my name, basically. <laughs> it was, he was playing it when I first walked into a room and met him. But anyway, so he said, oh, no, I don't have to get it. It's Cross. He's a fax addict. And I said, fax addict? I said, does he have email? And Raymond was like, I don't think so. I was like, we have to get him email right away. Like, if he loves to send faxes, he's going to love email. So that, within a couple of hours, I got you a, an account on The Well, which was an early online community pre-web that was very intense and very musically aware and full of deadheads and all this. And there was a very telling moment when I asked you what you wanted your name on, the, what your handle on The Well should be. And you said, Cross. And I said, oh, no, David. Then everyone will know who you are. And he said, I want people to know who I am. So, so, so then I believe CSN was on tour in Europe uh, when you and I talked in an internet chat uh, window. Um, you were in London, I think, actually. But do you remember a night that we talked in some kind of a chat program? Uh, no, I remember yeah. my, my memory was the very beginning, which was yeah. when I was in the hospital. Oh, right, right, right. And uh, and. And what a kindness it was. 
because uh, I was in the hospital, and as far as I knew, I was dying. Right. You know, every day was a little worse. My liver was failing. Other right. things were failing around it. You know, right. it, it, that's how it works. It's like a house of cards, right? And you can feel yourself getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And I was scared to death. Middle of the night, you know, four o'clock in the morning, you're sitting there all by yourself in a building that's really a cold place with a bunch of strangers. And you're lonely as shit. And you're scared because you're dying. And, uh, the idea that I could get on there and open the computer up and then talk to somebody was uh, talking to somebody has been a big thing in my life. It's a major part of, of who I wound up being is that I love to communicate with people. They fascinate the shit out of me. And, uh, and also they make it so you're not alone. You're not lonely. I don't like being lonely. And I'm, you know, if you're on the road, you you spend lots of time being lonely. Uh, so that that there I was in that in very intense circumstance, and and here was this window, you know, a way to talk to somebody. That was wonderful. It was a wonderful gift. Thank you very much. Doesn't mean I think you're a nice person or good looking or any of those other things. We return to the abuse. <laughs> I expect it by now. Um, yeah, I should explain no, that, this to people who are listening to this. Yes. I will abuse Steve as we go through this. Oh, it, it's true. Continually. But it, it, I love Steve. The truth is we used to, us, us hippies, musicians, we used to be all, oh, bro, I really love you, man. Really, bro. And it was sickening. It got so icky sweet that we wound up insulting each other instead. That's it. We started winding up going, hey, fish lips. Well, a guy who was totally on that frequency, as far as I understand it, uh, was Jerry Garcia. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was probably how you bonded, insulting each other. <laughs> yeah, we did it all the time. Constantly. Yeah. He was very snarky and sarcastic. Well, he was funny, man. Yeah. He was oh, a he was very funny, funny smart chat. As, smart AF. Really, really, really smart and yeah. very, very funny. And the same thing, he didn't want to be icky sweet. Right. Didn't want it. Wasn't interested. Right. He would. So, Yeah. He was, he was one of the instigators of that whole trend. So if we, as we go through this podcast, this is a podcast. I'm it thrilled is, yeah. to be on a podcast. Oh, good. Yeah, awesome. uh, This might be my first podcast. Uh, as we go through this, ladies and gentlemen, you may hear me call him Fish Lips or any number of other things. And it's because I love him. Oh. It's, it's only, it's not serious. Don't, don't leap to his defense because he can <laughs> handle it himself. This is Tom Marshall with Osiris, here to tell you that Freak Flag Flying is brought to you by Pilsner Urkel Beer. In 1842, Pilsner Urkel brewed the world's first golden Pilsner in the city of Pilsen in the Czech Republic. It is still brewed in the same brewery today, using the same Czech ingredients. There are a lot of crazy beers out there these days, and sometimes I just need a lager, specifically a Pilsner. Pilsners I find to be crisper and cleaner tasting than other beer types, and Pilsner Urkel, I feel, has the formula just right. It's not fruity or bitter or overhopped. The malt and hop flavors are just balanced perfectly. They've had 178 years to perfect it. You should give it a try. Pilsner Urkel makes sure that all their beer arrives in the U.S. in less than 31 days. The product is refrigerated the entire time from the brewery in Pilsen to the distributor warehouse in the U.S., 
to ensure the beer tastes the same here as it does in the brewery in Pilsen. You can find Pilsner Urkel in your local grocery store, available in cans and brown bottles for freshness. To enjoy Pilsner Urkel at its best, consider pouring it into a Pilsner mug. Thank you, Pilsner Urkel. I want to give our listeners a little context for my willingness to undergo this constant torrent of abuse. David and I were talking in a gem of a little studio in the glorious Santa Ynez Valley in California, run by a very nice guy named Joel Jacks. Thanks, Joel. David and his wife Jan were sweet enough to let me stay for several days in a guest cottage near their house just a few miles away. As a longtime friend of David's, we playfully abuse each other routinely, though I don't do it so much on this podcast. It's David's way of expressing affection, and we alternated these recording sessions with visits to local restaurants where folks would line up at David's table to express their gratitude for the ways that his music had changed their lives for the better. In the mid-1960s, David first made his mark in The Birds, who fused folk music and rock and put Dylan's amazingly poetic lyrics into an electric context even before he did. Then David joined forces with Stephen Stills and Graham Nash to release an album in 1969 that changed the face of popular music, featuring poignant songwriting, great playing, and sublime vocals that struck just the right note of hope and harmony for a stressed-out America at the time. When Neil Young joined the band, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young became mega stars, one of the most popular touring acts in the country. After competing rock star egos led to the eventual dissolution of CSN and CSNY, David reinvented himself again by collaborating with younger musicians like his son James Raymond, who David had given up for adoption back in the early 60s. We'll hear much more about James and the killer band CPR that David and James formed with a great guitar player named Jeff Pivar later in the podcast. Which brings us very easily to the weird situation of David Crosby at age, how old are you? 78. 78, being the most prolific of the four acronyms. Like, in the last four years of your life, you have released four of the best albums that you ever did. And it's not like, except for CSNY, it's not that at all. And in fact, something that annoys the F out of me is that wherever you go online, you're pursued by, when will CSNY hashtag get together again? To tell you, I love CSNY. Nobody loves it more than me. You know, uh, there's a version of Taken It All with you guys doing live harmony in the studio that is the most beautiful piece of music I know, as good as some Bach. But the thing is that in the last four years, you have put out four interestingly different, superb albums. And I wanted to know if collaborating with younger musicians had anything to do with your personal renaissance. Guaranteed. You know that. And it's, let's be specific. The first, and and probably always going to be, although you can't predict the future, but but certainly the now, the first and most important is my son James. Encountering him was just like, holy yikes. It's a guy who, when I met him, he'd already been a musician for 20 years. Before he found out that I was his dad, he had already been a musician for 20 years. 
And he's definitely a better musician than I am. Definitely. It's not, I'm not being nice. I don't need to butter his toast. He is better. He's way advanced. Way he's got further. serious jazz chops. A serious jazz chops. He's a yeah. serious player. Yeah. And he can read and write, which is different. I'm illiterate musically. So that widened my world. He and I started CPR. We made some of the best songs I've ever written in my life together in CPR. Absolutely. And the good news is those tracks are coming out again from the studio from BMG soon. They are? Um, yeah, that's yeah. the theory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm thrilled because nobody ever heard them. But the writing thing, yes, young people influenced it drastically. And the only credit I would give myself, man, is for being such a lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> and also for, I'll give myself that I was open, that I know good writing when I hear it, and I have no problem wanting to be a part of it. I think people close that door too much, you know, because they want the credit or they want all the money or they want I think more the credit than anything else. They want to feel autonomous, you know, and like, I can do it all. Well, yeah, you can. Only... Becca and I can do it better than I can do it. Michael League and I can do it better than I can do it. James Raymond and I can do it better than I can do it. But in any case, I remember the night that you, shortly after you had first discovered James through him searching for his adoption records, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you didn't, did you even know he existed at yes, all? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've yeah. been I'd been wanting to try and look for him for thirty years. Oh, wow. uh, you know, doing the normal torment yourself stuff. Oh, he's dying in a dumpster in a snowstorm, and I don't know where he is, and I wish I could find him. Yeah. Uh, but you can't. You can't yeah. track from the parent down only from the kid up. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, I remember the night that you took me out to the bus and popped a cassette of Morrison in, James had just written it. And I said, David, that's the best song that you've been associated with for decades. Not only that, 
it was very influenced by Steely Dan, I felt. No who, question. Who, by the way, you just got to sit in with in New York <laughs> at the Beacon Theater. How was that, David? How did that go down? Actually? Oh, man, it's so good. Okay, it's a great story. So Donald and, and, and uh, Steely Dan are coming to play Santa Barbara, right? They now uh, are being road managed by Richard Fernandez, who used to road manage us, assisted by Dean Correa, who used to work for us, and Will Nash. Oh, wow. Amazing. Who's, super nice guy, by the way. Who's a super nice guy who is my close friend. Anyway, so they told Donald that I used to sing uh, Home at Last mm -hmm. in, with CPR. Because mm. yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, so Donald says, I come there and... It, it, and I uh, come to sound check, and he says, so what did you sing Home and Laugh? Oh, wow. And I said, in front of the whole band, wow. on the stage at Santa right, Barbara, right. at sound check, Donald, you're out of your fucking mind. Right. I'm not going to sing one of your songs right. in front of you, right. in front of this band, right. in my hometown gig. Right. I'm not, I'm scared. Right. Uh, okay? You want me to hear it say it? <laughs> right. I'm saying it. I'm chicken to do it. Right. The whole band is laughing their ass off. Oh, nobody says no to Donald about anything. Right, right. right. So it was a very funny moment. He says, what do I got to do? Learn wooden ships? Oh, hilarious. And I go, you don't know wooden ships. <laughs> and he says, I could learn it in 30 seconds. Wow. I said, oh, yeah, right. So next night, I sent him a text. And I said, you were kidding, right? He sends me back one saying, was I or was I not? Wow. So then I know he's fucking with me. And no, absolutely for sure yeah, he's yeah. fucking with me. <laughs> Two nights later, I get another text in the middle of the night, this time about 4 o'clock in the morning, which means it's, no, 3 o'clock in the morning. It means it's 5 o'clock in the morning where he is. Okay, wow. I was just reading the words. This is a really good song. I'm oh, going to yeah. tell the band and the girls to learn it. Sweet. Sweet. At that point, I'm frozen like a mackerel. Right. I right. don't know what the fuck to think because... Right. I don't know. I'm sure Steely Dan must have learned other people's tunes sometime. Right. But I don't know about it. Right. Me neither. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Me okay. neither. So Absolutely. I'm gobsmacked. Right. I'm completely, it's like you stuffed a stick of dynamite on my ass. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. He's learning wooden ships. Right. He wants me to sing wooden ships with Steely Dan playing right, it. Right. <laughs> you want what? <laughs> I go to the sound check in New York. I talk it over with Will Nash. And he says, I think he's serious, man. Wow. <laughs> so I get him to send my 12 string. Because that's what I play in that song. My big Olympic 12 string. Nice. Grateful Dad-ish nice. 12 string. Nice. It's the nice. guitar that I always okay, played. Great. Ships on. So Excellent. I get it there. I go to the sound check. And they've learned the song. And they play it like God on a good day. They play it better than we ever dreamed of. <laughs> because they've got horns and Donald's written some horn parts. Because they've got those three girls who can sing their ass into the middle distance. Because they've got the band of destiny playing that shit. <laughs> Keith Carlock, who's got to be one of the best drummers who ever lived. Unbelievable unbelievable how good it was so i sang it i walk out that night he says some guy was hanging around we thought we'd give him a shot let him try to sing with the band his name is david crosby i walk out get a standing o from the audience 
I know. I was in that audience. Holy fuck. I, it freaked me yeah, out. Yeah. It was the best yeah. reaction I ever got. Yeah. So I walk out and we sing the song and it's fucking glorious. They, fucking John Harrington plays an extended and expanded and and more sophisticated version of everything Stills played on the record. He knows, <laughs> note for note, he knows what Stills played. So he plays that first, and then he'll edge it up and take it a little further just to show that he could. A compliment the size of the fucking Empire State Building. He knew the whole record, every note. And the kid, Connor, played a solo on it. Man, it was scary. Yeah. He shouldn't be able to play that good. He's only 24. No, I know. He's it's amazing. crazy. Yeah. The the horn players were so happy. The the girls were so happy. They were all the bass player was grinning at me like a fool. Also, Donald sounded great. And Donald sounded great. Very respectful of Stills uh, organ parts or whatever. You know, song. Donald knows what yeah. he's fucking doing. He does. He absolutely fucking yeah. does. Yeah. So it was as glorious as you could ask for it to be. And they gave us a standing O. You know, at the end, which it is was magic wonderful. to be there, I'll tell you. Wonderful. I, I had a friend who we both came from the West Coast to be there, practically. Uh, and it, it, you know, it was our first night there, actually, my friend Drew. And it was complete, like, I, I knew it'd be good, you know, it'd be live Steely Dan, you know. When I first heard that they wanted to play Wooden Ships, I thought, Really? Oh, okay. Like, I thought that they might go for some. I mean, you've written more Steely Dan esque shit. Yeah, I would have thought Deja Vu would have been the thing. Yeah, right. But the thing is that really made me respect Donald in a whole new way, actually, is that instead of dragging you into their movie, they put themselves in yours. Like, it was very respectful they knew of your the vibe. Song. Yep. They did the yep. song exactly as it was written, yep. only better. Yep. Yep. They played it like it was so good. Something everybody everywhere does in the same language.
here's the thing. There is an elusive quality to your best performances that is basically swing. Like in jazz, they call it swing. And that performance swung. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. You can't help but swing. If, if Carlock's playing the drums, trust me, it's going to swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the man's an absolute genius yeah. drummer. Yeah, it's yeah. A one, and that band is just, they know how. Yeah. They, they every night, lock in. Yeah. Because Donald's not going to work with anything less. Yeah. You know, he's a band leader. Right. If, I don't think many people have ever seen a band leader work. I've only seen a handful of them that could really do it. Uh, Donald is a master at it. Uh, Mike League is a master at it. That's Michael League, band leader and bass player for one of the hottest bands around, Snarky Puppy, and one of the young musicians that David has been collaborating with on his recent albums, along with Michelle Willis and Becca Stevens, who are powerful singers, songwriters, and instrumentalists in their own right. Very few people can lead a large band. Yeah, and Michael League of Snarky Puppy is one of the young musicians you've been working with, particularly on your album Lighthouse, which, uh, I mean, all of the albums that you've released in the last four years are amazing. Lighthouse is unbelievable and has very much its own sound, in part because of Michael League. What has working with him been like? When I met him, I liked him right away. I told you how I met him, right? I wish I should tell you here. Uh, it's a really interesting thing. A friend of mine turned me on to, there's a bass player site on the net called No Treble. And, uh, and a bass player friend of mine uh, said, man, you've got to hear this band I heard on that site. Oh, wow. Called Snarky Puppy. I said, that's a crap name. He said, it's a great band. So I listened to him. Now, this is when they had uh, We Like It Here out. And it was a brand new, a lot of brand new stuff, right? A lot of, of breakthrough ideas there. But mainly, it was the composing. The songs were better than anybody else's. It was the best writing in jazz I'd heard since, since Weather Report. It was that good, okay? So I started talking about it on, the, on Twitter, right? I said, I can't believe this band. They're really good. So then somebody tells Michael. So I get this message from him on Twitter from Singapore. He's in Singapore, oh, nice. right? Because they play all over the world. Uh, and he says, listen, I just wanted to thank you for the things you've been saying. They're really kind, and that's really nice of you. And, and I've got a question I wanted to ask you. And I sent back, the answer is yes. Nice. He said, I haven't asked it yet. I said, I know. Yeah. <laughs> he said, well, but, but I said, you're going to do another benefit record like We Like It Here the first time. You're going to do We Like It Here 2, and you want me to be on it. And he said, yeah. How did you know that? <laughs> I said, because I'm terrific and cosmic and smart and stuff. And the answer is yes, I'd love to. Oh, that's great. I'd love to work with you. Yeah. And so I went down to New Orleans to do that.
because of somebody Now, the state of mind I was in, I had just left CSN. And that's a very turbulent statement. A lot of stuff in there. 40 years of being in that band. Really big paycheck. Really easy. Going to sing six songs. Go home with enough money to buy a car. I left. Which is a little like diving off a cliff. And I really thought I had no choice. If I wanted to continue to be in love with music, if I wanted music to be the essential thread of my life, I had to leave. Going, also, to, going to New Orleans yeah, and meeting yeah, Mike Leake yeah. was like growing wings halfway down the cliff. <laughs> Wonderful. I met an entire room full of musicians, all of whom cared more about music than the money. At that point, they were still in a goddamn Sprinter van carrying their own gear, making barely enough money to pay the rent. Barely. All of them living poor. Michael didn't even have a home. Had no home at all. He lived out of a suitcase. He was on the road 365 days a year. I loved him. I loved all of them, man. I loved him. They were just my kind of people. They really didn't give a shit about showbiz, and they really didn't give a shit about, you know, they were, it was contributive music. That was the biggest difference. They weren't competing with each other. There were three lead guitar players standing in a row playing parts. I said, what? Does he have their children in a cage someplace? How is he getting them to do that? They're lead guitar players. They don't do that. And they were doing that. And there were three keyboard players doing the same thing also. And it's crazy. You can't get people to do that. How did he get them to do that? He's a natural leader. It comes just absolutely like waking up to in the morning to him. It's nothing. It's like how he is. He's also very selfless about it. He's very selfless like about it. Like he doesn't, it. I mean. He's not right. jerking his own chain. He's not blowing he's up not. his own balloon at all. He's not. And which is one of the reasons he's so good at it. Yeah. If you watch how he deals with people, he's totally respectful of every human being he speaks with. Right. Every time. Yep. Everybody. The busboy up to the president. Everybody gets the same deal. And I, I want to be more like him. Yeah. Please don't tell him. <laughs> but I, I admire the guy so much, and he's such a natural at it. Everybody in the room wants to go along with him because he makes sense. Yeah. And he's, when he asks you to do something, it's always the right thing. He's also strong and sweet in a way that is very appealing. Very He's appealing. very likable. It's a very, very likable, very decent guy, uh, and plainly so. Yeah. And in love with life and having yeah. a good time. And right. He's got his own thing going. Oh, no. Oh, like, yeah. fuck, is he good at his job? Yeah, oh, yeah. my God, yeah. is he good at his job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a musician. Well, the thing is, here's the thing, though. Same deal with Steely Dan in that I thought Snarky Puppy would try to get you in their movie, but Lighthouse is very much your movie. Like, what's for somebody who's been following your music, for all this time, like me, Lighthouse is very much a very Crosby-ish album, even though it's very collaborative and very Michael League-ish as well. Mike reads people. He reads who they are musically. He knew who I was. He knew which way to go. He and I wrote that record together. 
We wrote three of the best songs in the first three days we were sitting down together. That's when I knew. That record is essentially just a Mike Lee, David Crosby record. Mm-hmm. But it was the inception of the Lighthouse Band because he said, let's get the girls to sing on this some. Right. So we invited Becca and Michelle to sing on it a little. He and I wrote the whole fucking record. Right. And, Although and they also play amazing parts on it They do. Well. They do play some parts on yeah. it. Stuff really, really, really good. That's mm-hmm. when he introduced me to them. And when I went back the next time, I went to them and I said, listen, you know, there's a chemistry there. There's a real thing that, that the four of us have when we get in a room. I don't think there's any question about it. I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the universe, but I do know about this kind of thing. Chemistry in a room of musicians, yeah, I, I can spot that pretty well. And I see it here. And it is rare as hen's teeth. And I would like to do another record with you guys only this time. I'd like it to be a group record that we, the four of us, write together and then sing together. All four of us. That's the second Lighthouse album. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Freak Flag Flying is proud to be sponsored by Vermont Pure CBD. Vermont Pure CBD grows their own organic hemp processes their own oil, and makes their own products, all in Shoreham, Vermont. They use sustainable and natural methods to grow and transform hemp into healthy products, including the highest quality full-spectrum CBD products. They have tinctures and topicals, skin creams and balms, and edibles like CBD dark chocolate and even CBD capsules. Vermont Pure CBD is committed to only using the most natural, unprocessed, sustainable, and local products. They happily choose to pay more for ingredients that meet these criteria to keep the overall quality high 
to support responsible producers. Vermont Pure CBD treats every plant, every product, and every customer with the care and respect they deserve. Try it out today. Go to vermontpurecbd.com and enter the code OSIRIS on the shopping cart page to get 15% off your order. Vermont Pure CBD. Enjoy your wellness. You're recording an album now, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it or no? No. So the, 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 how it goes is the first one of these series was Cross, yeah. and that's me and James. Yeah, and, and it's amazing. And it's, it's a an amazing record. record. It's yeah. it's where we he and I really really nailed it. Yeah. The next one is is Lighthouse. Yeah. Uh, and that's me and Michael. Right. The next one after that is uh, Sky Trails. Yeah. That's me and James again peaking. Yeah. We were absolutely fucking peaking when we made it. Yeah. He and I could not have had an easier and better time. Oh, that's but great. we were writing. You know all over the map that yeah then the the next one is here if you listen and that's uh mike lake again yeah 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 here if you listen is what happens when you let the lighthouse band write the the record together and yeah. sing the record together and i gotta warn anybody who's out there making records don't leave becca stevens and michelle willis alone in the studio don't do it <laughs> you will come home and find somebody has built something you can't believe yeah, it's really true. I got to see that uh, in action at the uh, at that studio in the Lower East Side in in New York. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Flux, Fab's place. Yes, exactly. Flux. And uh, you were very insulated from daylight and the you know the surrounding uh, uh, what used to be a junkie ridden neighborhood. But um, it was fascinating to see you guys work together as an organism because you each brought the best out of each other. Really? You were each completely open to each other's ideas. Really? Like, I know that you're supposed to be the super famous guy and all this, but... Not to them. Right, not to them. No, right. uh, no, and that's why it's one of the main reasons it works. Right. I'm a contributor, and I'm right. a good one, and they value my contribution. They right. don't... Ex- it's not... Ex- they don't see it as bigger than life. They know right. that they can contribute like that, too. All three right. of them can. Right. What the deal was, was we made it fully contributive music. Right. We gave each other the respect and the room and the love to the support to be willing. You know, Michelle's pretty shy, man. She doesn't do that. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And she came into that and was, she wrote some stuff that was just so right. All of those guys are all heart. They are. And they really know how to write music. Yeah. I mean, they're really good at it. Yeah. Really good. close ones to the end to blind men fat fingers on the trigger rocket men in little hands never taking time to listen Blocking out half the light Only sabotages the mission Take me in Hold me in your arms again 
Chemistry is probably my one of my most favorite ones of my life. Yeah, it's it's right up there at the very top. Yeah, uh, Mike Leake, Becca Stevens, and Michelle Willis are three of the best musicians I ever encountered in my life. Ever. Yeah. That's why I say that I'm insanely lucky. Right. I mean, I could have gone my whole life and never met any of the three of them. Right. And and the world would be a poorer place because there's a lot of music that's come there and might be more. Right. If I can ever get Mike back in the studio. Let me ask you a question. In your younger days, almost every, like you didn't collaborate. All, well, you collaborated constantly with other guys. Um, in in the latter part of your life, you've been more open to collaborating with women. Um, has that felt, you know, interesting in some way? Like You know, I didn't really look at it that way. You know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, when I was younger, I didn't collaborate right. hardly at all. Right. And then Wooden Ships came along, and that's right. a very successful collaboration. Paul and Stephen both really brought stuff. Right. It kind of opened the door for me. Right. And during the the Crosby Nash you know years there right. where where we were friends. Right. You know, a couple of times uh, taken it all. Right. Uh, a couple of times we we'd write something uh, that really was pretty good. It, right. it it didn't happen very often, but it did happen mm-hmm. every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen the way it's been happening since I got out of CSN and started working with these guys right. in in uh, Lighthouse. The only person that it happened with before then uh, was uh, James. Yeah. James I could write with all day. Right. Well, I, I feel like CPR was the beginning of your escape it from was. CSNY, really. It was. I mean, I actually, you know, I'll just be hyper blunt here. Uh, you know, I went to see CSN all those years. They were fine. You know, they were nice shows. Um, but I felt like it was like Madame Tussauds House of Hippie. You know, it was like you were trapped in this, the guy who was at Woodstock. And it was boring, ultimately. It was like, I mean, you, I, I must be honest with you. You always put your muscle behind trying to make it fresh and new in any situation. And dare I say, no matter how messed up you were, and I saw you very messed up on cocaine in the early 80s, but you were always trying to push it. Like, I never saw a performance of yours that was just sleepwalking. I never did. You know, you always Good. tried. Even when your voice was messed up, like, you'd try to sing Guinevere, and you'd try to make it real, you know? And that I feel like that's essential to yourself as a musician. It's the only way I can that I can go with it. It has to stay the most important thing, and, and, and it really got to be a, an uphill battle in CSN. It was turn on the smoke machine and play your hits. Right. And take the paycheck. Right. Which is what the audience wanted in a way. Yeah. You know, it like is. The, the core. They want, you know? they, they want, no, they want the, they want those same stuff they heard on the record. Right. right. That's why the Eagles are the Eagles. Right. Because right. they can do exactly. that. And they exactly. will do that. Exactly. I can't really do that. Right. I need to, right. I need to be excited. And that right. means I got to play something that excites me. Right. Right. It was um, Mike League. Becca Stevens, Michelle Willis, James Raymond, Miley's, 
Stevie DeStanislaw, uh, Jeff Pivar. Man, these people changed my life. And, and largely because they are all into contributive music, not competition. That's not how they get what they want. So they don't do it. What was amazing to me sitting in on those sessions was seeing the whole band function with unspoken understanding that you were all there to serve something greater than an individual musician's ego. Please, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, play that part back again. <laughs> because he just said it. That's the absolute truth. Yeah. We were there to serve the song. Yep, absolutely. No matter where, no, ma no like matter where it just takes humbly you. just, oh, yes, okay, this is what's... Is Whatever it needs. Right. Dave, I only want you to go ooh, ooh, right. in the second line. That's all. That's right. the only thing. That's right. the only thing it needs. Okay, fine. I'll do that. Right. Some of the best sessions I ever did, and some of the most joyous music I've ever made in my life with making that record. Yeah. And I think, I think Michael loved it too. It's completely different than what he does with, with the puppy or Bocante. Right. Uh, but I feel like that speaks really well of him. It does. And his friends. It know. does. He loves music, yeah. man. He yeah, loves yeah. all forms of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the day that he told me he was going to Turkey. I said, why are you going to Turkey? He said, I want to play Oud. Oh, nice. So he comes nice. back a month later, and he's playing lead on the Oud. Wow. Well, he's got chops because he's a bass player, right? Wait, does he play it on, like, The City or something, on one of your songs on uh No, that was somebody or... else, but oh. that was... That was James, that was James using a sample. James can oh, use samples cool. better than anybody you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. You, yep. you ever heard the song Curved Air? Yes. Unbelievable. Hey, that's flamenco. That, yeah, it's that amazing. Really flamenco? I know that's, that's fascinating. James on a fucking keyboard. It's unbelievable. I remember when he said it to me, I'm like, I literally checked with him like, no. Are you serious? Like, I don't believe you. No. I've had people tell me that over and over again. No, man, that's a guitar. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it's not. No, James is a genius. like the stuff what was the stuff he put out under another name he put out like some danceable uh stuff oh, you know he's been doing that a lot on the side trying to have a hit so that he can pay the fucking bills he's amazingly talented he they, is, plus they have a jazz band yeah uh, you gotta understand about james man he's he barely making it yeah it's not a guy who's rich right he's barely making it right sending his kid to school nearly broken right that's how it is for musicians now in the right. age of streaming. Right. It's a bitch. I wanted to ask you, David, you're one of the few musicians who lived through every single phase of the music industry. 
you live through like, or, you know, every phase of the music industry's arc around the baby boomer generation, basically. Like you became a big star when you were young, then an even bigger star. And, uh, you know, lots of money, lots of parties, lots of whatever. But now it's like you're going around on a bus playing with, you know, people who are in their 30s and stuff. Like, so what is your perspective on how the life of the working musician has changed in the age of streaming and everything? Everything available all the time, except with no money going to the musicians. It's changed everything. What happens, Stephen, is it's kind of a shitty thing. The guys who developed the technology knew what they had. It revolutionizes the record business because there's no record. There's no physical object. You don't have to make a physical object. You don't have to package that physical object. You don't have to mail the package. You don't have to truck it. You don't have to get returns. You don't have to make a cover. You don't have to have a picture. You don't have to print the lyrics. You don't have to do any of that shit. You just hit a button and it sends the signal and they pay you for it. Well, Everybody in the record business said, ooh, yummy. The three big record companies who run the music business pretty much, they said, oh, this is for us. And the guys who thought up streaming said, yes, but we need you to do us a favor. The rate that you're paying the musicians at is way too high. They're getting rich. We want to get rich instead. We want us to get rich, not them. The record companies said, we can give you a different rate. All you have to do is give us a piece of your company, which they did. I am told, I can't prove it, but I am told that the three record companies right now are making off their piece of the streaming companies $19 million a day. Really? Oh, my God. Wow. That's amazing. It's money that the musicians are not getting. Right. I feel since they are making billions with a B that that is unfair. It's like you doing your job, Stephen, for a month and they pay you a nickel. It's insulting. It pisses me off because they're making money off of my songs and I'm not. That's not fair. And of course, I'm one of those silly people who got stuck with the concept of fair, thinking that that was a real thing, which, of course, probably not. But I want it. I want them to be fair with me. And they're not. They're making freakish amounts of money. Meanwhile, new artists, okay, it cut my income in half, but I can still sell a 1,000 tickets in most cities. So, okay, I make a living as a, out of live. I'm 78 years old. It's real hard for me to do live. It's real hard for me to be on the road still. I should have retired. I can't. Why? Because live is the only thing I got. I'm not making anything off the records at all. That Lighthouse record that you liked, I have not gotten a single penny. Seriously? Nothing. That's terrible. It's one of the best records of your career. Nothing. Wow. Okay. So, now that's due to some other malfeasances on the part of a non-specified record company. But... (laughs) The point is, okay, I didn't do it for the money coming in. I wasn't making records to make money in the first place. I made them because they're my art form. They're what I make. Songs on record. Except you don't just make songs on record. You make sequences of songs. I do. Actually, which so is also they, being challenged in yeah. the age of, yeah. So I have to do it anyway because I love it. It's my 
it's what I'm going to leave behind. It's the mark that I make. If you believe in the idea of legacy, then that's my legacy. Four of us were having dinner And I threw down the paper with a curse And my wife said, complaining doesn't get it You got to do something or you can bet it will get worse And my friend said, you've been watching But it isn't right what's going on. The young people coming up, that Becca Stevens, that Michelle Willis, they can't make a goddamn nickel. They got a band, they got a sprinter, they finish a gig, everybody gets a cheeseburger, you pay for the two hotel rooms that they shared to be able to have a shower. Everybody gets back in the sprinter and drives another 220 miles to get to another gig where they're going to play to 80 people and not make any money either. And that's it. That's all there is. Because the check from streaming was $2.82 instead of $282. That's shitty. And it doesn't bode well for the future. If you don't make it so that young musicians can make a living, you won't have any. If you don't, where are you going to get the music? Now, I can tell you that there are people who are so cold-hearted and so shitty that they are already trying to get computers to write songs. It's, it's an algorithm. It's a, there's, a, there's a formula to it making a hit. You do it just this speed and be these changes, and they're going to try. So I wanted to ask you, you mentioned earlier that um, meeting James and writing songs with him was really... Uh, really helped you escape from CSNY. What was it like to write a whole bunch of new material with James after you had even had trouble getting CSNY to rehearse your new, newer songs? Like they didn't even do it. You know? um, so what was it like to suddenly have a working band, a touring band, and a kick-ass band too? Because 
Jeff Pivar has some serious chops. Yeah. Everybody did. Yeah. What was it like to suddenly engage your creativity in this really intense way? Joy. Yeah. Because there wasn't a price tag on it. It didn't come with all that, that psychodrama and all that competitive bullshit and unpleasantness. And it came with a clean heart and, and an open hand. And it was uh, incredibly good writing. He's good, man. He's really fucking good. Listen to the music of, of At the Edge. That's stunning. And he did it over and over again and different every time. I knew it as soon as, he, like you said, as soon as I heard Morrison, I said, oh, fuck. I'm shitting in tall cotton. Woohoo! Yippee! Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, but he's, 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 he's actually gone further. He's having a hot streak right now. You should hear the stuff that we're writing right now. Wow. And even in CPR, he did uh, great rearrangements of like Homeward Through the Haze. Like it was really, really good. Kicked it up. It was tight and swinging. Our way of doing Deja Vu was really good. Yeah. That opening that he thought up for Deja Vu was really good. Yeah. The thing that's most shocking about him, man, is Delta. People don't know this because they only experience it once or twice. Right. That opening for Delta. Yep. He's never played it the same twice. Right. Ever. He's played it a thousand times. There are a thousand different beginnings. Yeah. I tape them. Wow. I have some. Wow. This a song, at least a song in every one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're genius. And they're all improvised and they're all completely different. It's one of the most wonderful moments in, in the set. It's true. We all just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Say, Take it, James. Yeah. Where is it going tonight? Right. Because it won't be the, wherever it was last night. Right. He's a, he's an amazing musician, man. He's also a very decent human being. Very yeah. nice man. Yeah. Good father, good husband. Yeah. You know? Well, my my mind was blown when I, uh, another album that d didn't get as much attention as it deserved was the David Crosby Graham Nash album of, uh, you know, just a few years ago because James played an intro to Jesus of Rio, which is called Grace on the album. It's like Bill Evans. It's unbelievable. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and it's completely improvised as far as I can tell. It is. Um, yeah, it's uh, one of the nicest moments on the album. I feel like James's music really deserves a lot more attention. A lot more attention. much of it has been derailed by uh, us trying to, you know, keep the rent paid. Right. He and I are both struggling to hold on to our houses. Right. 
We both, you know, at got our houses when we had more money. Yeah. And uh, both of us stand a pretty good chance of living. Mm. So we 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 work pretty hard to try and make money, one way or another. Yeah, I was really struck by what you said earlier about how if musicians can't support themselves, there will be less musicians. Like, what do you feel like is the future? Do you feel like musicians are going to be able to finally challenge the streaming companies and demand appropriate? You know what I believe is it, what how I handle stuff like this, man. Is I have a desperate need to keep my head above water. I can get pretty depressed. It's not a thing you want to see. And it's also dangerous. So I don't want it. Yeah. So when I look at this thing, I think, oh, well, some new technology will come along. Mm -hmm. Some exemplary human being will come along. That's the same answers I give myself about global warming. Mm -hmm. Technology, exemplary humans. Something will happen that we don't foresee right now. And it just allows me to not cave in, mm -hmm. to not go under. Mm-hmm. Because I could. So what are you most looking forward to musically now that you're working on now? What are you doing? I feel pressure. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Before I actually cack, I'll probably fail. Some part of me is going to fail and then mm -hmm. I won't be able to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's pressure on me to make as much music as I possibly can while I can still make it. Right. I'm singing really well right now. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I did mm -hmm. everything wrong. Mm -hmm. But I am. My plan, sort of, is to do another record with James. I'm mm -hmm. about a third of the way into that. We have the songs. We have more songs than we need. Mm -hmm. My and Greg, uh, Lee's wrote music to one of my sets. That That's an, another one. Vin Downs wrote music to uh, Oh, awesome. One he's, he, he's great on Twitter, uh, releasing these little fragments of melody. Oh, man, he's nice. Yeah, he's Cat's fantastic. a fine player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, musically, he's just delicious. He also yeah. turns out to be a nice cat. Yeah, that's great. But James is on fire. Wow. It may well be that James will write the whole record. Wow. Because uh, everybody else can't keep up, including yeah. me. Yeah. I don't really care where the fucking songs come from. I care mm -hmm. how good they are. Right. I'll give myself qualified to judge on songs. Right. And uh, they're stunning. Yeah. The ones I got now, well, you've heard two of them. They're pretty fucking good.
understand why it's this way There's no instruction, no map No secret way past the trap It's so confusing, I keep losing Join David and me for the next episode of Freak Flag Flying, where we'll explore David's history of political activism, which continues today, and some of the personal struggles with addiction that infamously landed him in a Texas prison in the mid-1980s. Freak Flag Flying is executive produced by Adam Kaplan and Tom Marshall. Interview, narration, and editing by me, Steve Silberman. Mixed and mastered at Telescope Audio. Promotions by Christina Collins and RJB. And thank you all for listening. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast.